Hi, and welcome back to the Daily Tech Start, where I share with you my day-to-day -day experiences working at a tech startup and the lessons I learned along the way. This is episode nine, and today's topic is data, more specifically, your own personal data. I'm actually just now back from Brussels and Paris, and I have to say it's really nice to be back in London. Um, I know it's September, and most people are sort of going back to work or school or uni, and really all I want to do is take a week off and take a vacation. But oh well. Um, so back to data, I wanted to focus a bit about how much we really care and about our personal data and how much do we care that there are big companies out there making a fair amount of profit on our data. So the reason I wanted to focus on this is there was a really interesting article that was published um, last weekend on Engadgetnet, um, Engadget sorry.com um, written by Nick Summers and it was about a store that actually um, was opened it was sort of like a pop-up store and it was only opened for two days and it only accepted personal data as currency and this article really got me thinking about how nothing is for free today online and we pay for almost of these three free services with our data and by free services I mean the Googles and the Facebooks of the world so data security, data privacy, and personal data are all topics that I speak about on a daily basis in my job. Why? Um, mostly because we help, um, first of all, we help our customers um, take back control of their data and the data around their fans and their followers and their voters. And what I mean by that is um, most of our customers have large data sets and they have siloed, siloed sorry, data sets and they've got no idea of who these people actually are. So we help them paint more of a complete picture of the uh, of these people that matter to them. So they could be the consumers, they could be voters, um, they could be citizens, they could be donors. Um, and what I mean by painting a more complete profile is most of the customers that I talk to have several data sets. So they might have, let's say, a John Smith who is a customer, they will have a John Smith who's a newsletter subscriber, they'll have a John Smith who's a Twitter follower, they'll have a John Smith who's engaging with them on Facebook, and ultimately you end up with four John Smiths being interacted with, most likely with four different teams within your company. And actually what we try and help our customers understand is the reality is you have one John Smith, and John, that same John Smith is engaging with you in four different ways, and you should know what are the three, two, or four other ways that that person's engaging with you. And then the other aspect that we help customers with is is they do a lot of campaigns and a lot of marketing and a lot of engagement on Twitter and on Facebook. The problem there is that that data is actually owned by Twitter and Facebook. So some of the questions, that, some of the questions, sorry, that I love asking customers is, for example, well, how many Twitter followers do you have today? Most likely, if I'm talking to the social media person, they'll be able to tell me a rough number. You know, something like I've got 16,000 Twitter followers or I've got 120,000 Twitter followers. And then you follow that question by, well, what percentage of Twitter followers do you have an email address for? Or what percentage of these Twitter followers are current customers? What percentage of these Twitter followers are also signed up to your newsletter and vice versa? And that data is actually really hard to make sense, again, because Twitter or Facebook actually owns that data. And the, reason, and the reason we really spend a lot of time on this is because we have a fundamental belief, and I have a fundamental belief, that it's only when you truly understand who your end consumer is that you really start, that you're really given all the tools and all the information and all the context 
that's important for you to then really start that true engagement um, with them in doing it in a meaningful way. So you need to understand who your end users are really understand them before you can actually communicate with them properly and it's only once you communicate with them properly that you're able to establish a long-standing and a meaningful relationship with these people and ultimately that's the end goal in nearly all of the campaigns and all the discussions that we have with customers. Funnily enough, just as I am, well, I don't know if it's funny, but just as I'm in the middle of recording this, um, it's gone from blue sky, sunshine, really beautiful outside, to absolutely throwing it down, grey skies, thunder, back to sunshine, and now we're back to thunder and rain. So if you're hearing a lot of rain in the background, that's because in London right now, it's absolutely throwing it down. Okay, so back to data and why topics of data security, data privacy and personal data are always on my mind and always a conversation that I have, I would say, on a daily, um, weekly basis. The other aspect why this is a continuous um, conversation is because I work for an American company. And as you may or may not be aware of, Americans have a very different take and a very different opinion when it comes to personal data. In Europe, for example, people actually really care about their data and they really don't give it away that easily. They also want to know how companies are using their data, especially if it comes to making profit out of it. And so there's an ongoing battle, I would say, um, in especially in Europe between the consumers or the citizens and the companies using um, these customers' um, personal data. So if you think about it, Google or Facebook, as I mentioned before, are actually turning a profit selling your personal data to companies who want to advertise to people, um, people just like you and I. Um, so obviously you also get something. So now obviously you also get something out of it. Um, you know, when you're using Google, you're getting a return on investment. When you're using Facebook, you're able to use all of these powerful platforms for free. But again, back to my point, it's not actually for free because what you are giving them in return is access to your data and they're able to use this data to then make millions by selling targeted ads, etc. So, so it's really fascinating, this concept of, you know, all of these, prof all of these platforms are actually for free and who cares um, about how these companies are, are using their data. And it's a fascinating and a very different conversation when I'm having this conversation with Americans versus Europeans. However, I will say that the tide is slowly starting to change on this. So I'm having more and more serious conversations about these with fellow Americans. But if we go back to this article, um, it was what was very fascinating and what caught my, my eye was um, Nick in his article, um, Nick Summers says, what we don't realize is that the breadcrumb trail that we leave online has value, real monetary value. And I think that's the thing we just really need to start repeating again and again until it really sinks in. And to emphasize that point, um, the cybersecurity firm Kaspersky, Kaspersky's lab, those are the guys that were running this sort of two-day pop-up shop in London, um, and they actually called the shop the Data Dollar Store. Um, and they did a couple of things that were really, really, really clever. So Nick explains that inside the shop, um, you could find exclusive T-shirts and mugs and screen prints um, by a street artist called Ben Ein. And, and the catch was you couldn't pay for these items, the T-shirts, the mugs or the screen prints um, with cash. The only way you could pay was by giving up some personal data. And they actually took it a step further. Um, 
you couldn't choose what data you were giving. So for example, to buy, and I'm doing to buy in air quotes, to buy a t-shirt, you had to give away at least three photos from your camera roll and you couldn't actually be selective. So they would take your camera roll and they'd basically take off three photos from your camera phone. And that was what would you, you would use to pay for the mug, for example, that you bought. And so as a result of that, first of all, the, the whole concept in itself, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, but they're a cybersecurity firm and they take it even further. And one of the things that they mentioned in this article is we're paying with data all the time and there's no official transaction. So we don't actually realize what we're doing. So even though we're using data on a constant basis to have access to these platforms, because there isn't this monetary value attached to it, and because there isn't this sort of official form on transaction, we don't actually feel like we're giving away data that actually belongs to us. What's really interesting, and the parallel that I kind of drew, was that this experiment by this cybersecurity firm is actually not too dissimilar from what I tell my customers on a day-to-day -day basis when they're running campaigns. And most of my customers are running campaigns to run for office, win an election, um, run a, a specific campaign or a project or um, you know, a referendum, regardless of what it is. But what they're trying to do is ultimately in the sort of the baby steps in between to get to that end goal is collect donations, collect voters, signatures, etc. So collect basically data sets. And for my customers, if you want someone to give you what is most important to them, their name, their surname, their email address, maybe even their postal address, maybe sometimes their phone number, and you're allowed and they're going to give this to you. And they're going to allow you to store this data on their behalf in what they would consider their CRM or their database. You better right up the bat before you ask them for this data set, you better be able to tell them what value they are going to get from you in return. Because more and more people are actually choosing today to be extremely picky, and so they should be, about what data they are sharing and why they're doing so. And one of the reasons why they're doing so is because I think people are slowly, in both Europe and in the US, but specifically in Europe, we're slowly starting to realize that we're putting a lot of information out there and that this technology out there now that allows to, you know, to scrap the internet to find all the different data sets and to create a sort of more complete profile of who you are. And not only does the data that we're putting out there have real monetary value, but there's also the aspect of data security in cybercrime. Cybercrime is becoming a real thing. And we've now seen it being used to win elections or to try and make um, candidates fail. And data hacks or data leaks are now actually happening on, on a weekly, monthly basis. I could say on a monthly basis, it's the big ones that we hear about, but it's not because that we're not hearing about them that they're not actually happening. Um, so I just found this whole conversation, this whole debate, absolutely fascinating. And the fact that this cybersecurity firm had this ingenious idea of creating a shop where you could use your data to purchase goods, I thought was an absolutely phenomenal um, experiment. And it's well worth reading Nick Summers' um, um, article on this. Because one of the things that I found fascinating is that the moment you actually, as you were giving away this data, you were tying it to this sort of transaction, you felt much more aware of the data that you're giving away and much more bizarre about it. And I absolutely, I have that exact feeling when I'm in a store 
And someone asks if I want to be part of a loyalty program or someone says that they, you know, why don't I leave my email address? The first question I've started to ask now is what do I get in return and how are you going to use this? Which is not a question that I would have asked three, four, even two years ago, I think. So anyway, I, I just I love that article. And there's so many parallels um, with the work that I'm doing. And it's a topic that I talk about constantly. Um, and I think it's a topic that we're going to be talking more and more about with our customers, um, but also as a society. And God, um, that was it for me. I'm, tonight, I'm going to be spending a fair amount of time and tomorrow as well prepping um, for a Politico interview, which should be really interesting with Politico Europe. Um, we're going to have a, an interview for their podcast that we're doing on Wednesday. So I'll keep you posted when, when that's live. Um, but we'll be talking mostly about you know, civic tech running campaigns in the 21st century, running, um, you know, how politics is changing and shifting and the intersection of, you know, governments and, and tech and governments and politics. So, so I'll, yeah, I'll share the link with that here um, once that is live. And I wish you all a great day and a great evening.